Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Um, let me go ahead. Um, let's, let's read scripture. Um, so if you can throw up Luke 15 on there. Um, let's read this together. <clears throat> uh, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, Let me go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you today uh, that this is a day um, in which we get to set aside the pains and struggles of this world to come together to acknowledge that while we don't see it, Lord, you are king, and you are working and moving to not only heal us as your people, but to heal this creation. Uh, That your ultimate plan is to return and to renew this earth to the state in which you you created it to be in, a a place of harmony, of peace, of restoration, a place of celebration of your goodness. Uh, Father, and I pray that here and now we would experience that in the midst of our struggles, our hurt, and our pain. Father, I pray that your presence would be palpable. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that you would speak through me. Um, I pray that you would increase and I would decrease here and now. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, y'all. Uh, my name is Brian. It's, it's good to see you all. Um, if you don't know who I am, uh, I'm, I'm lucky to be an, an elder at the church here. Uh, and I'm on staff with Young Life. I get to serve uh, as the area director for Young Life in Randolph County. Um, as I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to talk about this week, um, Bryce threw out a few options to me. I threw out a few options to Bryce. He's in Ohio. Um, and there were two passages I was really thinking about doing, and he didn't get as far in Mark as he thought he would, and he split it in half, so that got thrown out. Um, and then there was another passage I was thinking about doing, and that got thrown out. And so last week, I, I got to do a circuit. Uh, I preached at a, a three Methodist church last week, and I taught on this for Father's Day. Um, and so I was like, what should I do? And I, well, we're going to do this again. Um, last week it was for Father's Day, and so it was a little more happy. 
This week, um, it's going to be a little more heavy, and I want us to be okay with that. Uh, This week, we are going to dive in and look at um, sin, which is weird. Uh, In church, we talk about sin a lot. We talk about sin in in many ways, and, and typically we glance over it and just we get to God loves you, which is really good, okay? It's really good. But often, I think this was true for myself, until I, I fully understood what sin was, I wasn't able to fully understand the power of the cross. And so I want to invite us into a time of just being real and authentic, that it is okay that we are a broken people. It is okay that we are a part of a broken world. And no one needs to fake it <laughs> right now that everything is good. My life is a broken mess, and I'm okay with that because I know that Jesus is continuously working in my life for his glory. But it's only because I can admit to him as king that my life is broken, that he is able to take that brokenness and heal it and begin to change me into his kingdom person, uh, somebody who's a part of his kingdom. So as we, as we look at this um, scripture, um, I want us to think about that. But before I jump into sin, I want us to um, look at a concept and idea in scripture from Genesis 1 and 2 throughout the entire Old Testament and to the New Testament. Today's sermon is going to be a little heavy, like I said, but before we do that, I want us to look at a word, um, and you might have heard it before, shalom. Does anyone know what the word, it's a Hebrew word, shalom. Does anyone know what the word shalom means, or have you heard it at all? Peace, right? A lot of us hear this word peace. It means peace. Uh, And that is partly true. It's partly true, okay? Uh, The beautifulness of the word shalom Um, is it's more than just peace. It's wholeness. When Solomon created the temple, the last brick he put into the building, he declared that it was shalom. The building was whole. It was fully functioning in the way in which the presence of God could now dwell. When God created the earth, it was shalom. It was complete. It was good before sin entered. Shalom is more than just peace. It is wholeness. It is the way things are supposed to be. God created this world in order to be shalom, to be whole. And he created us to have that same peace, that same wholeness. Not just peace as in everything feels good, but wholeness in the midst of brokenness. As we just read from Luke, um, one of my favorite Chunks of scripture comes from um, Luke 4, and this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, this is how he inaugurates his ministry. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah. He walks into a temple, as scripture says he does um, every Sunday, and he reads this passage from Isaiah about who the Messiah would be. And it says this. Jesus picks up the scroll. He finds a place in Isaiah where he wants to speak from. And he says this, quoting from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to recover sight from the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus in that moment was inaugurating that in me and through my kingdom people, the kingdom of God is now present and will become present throughout all the earth. 
The year of the Lord's favor, and I don't have time to talk about this. I could sit up here and ramble for four hours on this. Um, a scholar um, and teacher, N.T. Wright, talks about this a lot. Uh, the year of the Lord's favor is the year of Jubilee. And it was this radical concept in which people were supposed to be freed of their debts, like in really radical ways. If you want to go check out, go check out the year of Jubilee. It's this crazy concept. But it's, it's God creating within Israel a time in which Israel gets to become what it was supposed to be once again. And Jesus is saying here and now, in my kingdom, what I am bringing is shalom, this way it's supposed to be. And that's why as we've been looking at the gospel of Mark, Bryce has been, everywhere Jesus went, he healed people. Jesus wasn't just concerned about sin. He was concerned about wholeness as well. He healed people and forgave sins. He touched lepers and made them clean. I think us as individualized um, Americans within our, um, our communities, uh, we focus on individual sin a lot, which is good. It's very good. But in actuality, Jesus' ministry was so much more than just individual sin. It was the restoration, not just of people, but of the brokenness that people experience on a daily basis. I love that, and I need to hear that because <laughs> it, it is good to know that Jesus isn't just concerned and he's done when he forgives my sin. He is still working in my life to bring his peace and wholeness of who he originally created me to be. And so with that in mind, we've got the way it's supposed to be. You can look, look at Genesis 1 and 2. The way it's supposed to be, Scripture is clear that we will one day return to that state when Jesus comes back, all right? But right now, where we're at, it is not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> and so right now we're gonna look at sin and brokenness. Before we do that, I want to, um, oh, actually, could you throw up the slide of those names and some books? Uh, oh, this is a great quote. Sorry, go back to that quote. Uh, it says this. This is uh, Cornelius Plantenga. He's a PhD. He was one, he's a doctor. Uh, he was, I think, president of the Southern Baptist in his book, um, A Breviary of Sin, um, was, in, I think in 1991, um, it won Best Christian uh, Book of the Year. And he says this, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing. I love that. It means wholeness and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way it ought to be. And I love that quote. Um, and if you go to the next slide, there are a, a few really good books um, by N.T. Wright and, and Cornelius Plantenga um, that really dive into the works of Shalom and how God intended the world to be, despite living in the fallenness of this world. Before we, we do that, though, I want to share with you all a quick story. I got my slides messed up. Here we go. <clears throat> um, where are we at? So sorry. Um, I want to share the story with you all. It's, it's a little intense, but it's, it's a true story. This happened to Bree and I when we were dating in college. Um, we were at our friend's house. Um, our, me and some guys had a house and some girls had a house. And we were over at uh, the girl's house Bree was staying at. 
Uh, and it was a duplex, and it had an upstairs, and there were doors connecting the upstairs, and you had to go around the outsides to get to both sides, and a family was living in the other side of this house. And so we had a bunch of people over, we were hanging out, it was a lot of fun, and Bree and I were in the living room, everyone else I think was in the, the kitchen or the dining hall, um, and there were two dogs in the house, and Bree and I were just sitting on the couch talking, it's a normal day, everything's going great. Um, and all of a sudden, we hear this, and I kind of, my ears perked up, and you could tell the dogs like freaked out for a second. And I looked at Bree, I'm like, what was that? And Bree said, I, that sounded like a gunshot. I was like, no, that, it, was, it was so, it was too quiet to be a gunshot. And then all of a sudden we hear dogs starting to bark. And we hear screaming from the other side of the duplex. And it wasn't just this, a typical scream, it was a something's wrong scream. And we heard foot patters above us and a woman screaming, oh my gosh, she shot herself. And so we ran upstairs and we couldn't break into the door to get to the other side. <clears throat> and so I looked at my friend, we told him to call 911 and Bree and I rushed to get into the other side of the room, the other building. Um, I was the first one in and as I was running in, uh, there was this little kid, probably seven years old, running past me, just tears in his eyes. And someone was sitting on the couch uh, crying, and I remember running upstairs and, and screaming, where, like, where are you at? How can, I, how can we help? And I heard a guy scream, and uh, we ran in to this room. And the moment I ran in through the doors of the room, um, I was hit with the smell of gunpowder. It was tangible. And we walked in, more like ran in, uh, and this girl, this African-American girl, was laying on the bed uh, screaming, she had shot herself through her leg, and her dad was sitting in front of her with 911 on the phone and trying to hold a blanket up to her leg as blood was just spilling everywhere. And so I immediately told Bree, I, I told Bree, she came in right behind me to just start smacking her, keep her awake. I got my belt off and tied a tourniquet. And for the next five minutes, it was just this tense, surreal moment in which I didn't know if this girl was going to make it. Like, there was so much blood, it was terrifying. Luckily, EMS came, police came in first, had to clear the room, make sure the gun was secure. The EMS came in, um, and she ended up living. But it was just one of those surreal moments in which, wow, what do you say to this father? It was hard. It was broken. And it was one of those moments in which you realize, this just isn't right. And the reason why I tell that story is because there's no band-aid in the world that could ever fix the hole that was in that woman's leg. There was no medicine. There was no words. She needed a doctor to perform surgery or else she was going to bleed out and die. And the hardship of, of that story is that we are in the same position without Jesus. Whether we acknowledge it or not, scripture paints a very clear picture of the consequences of sin and the brokenness that it leads to. She was in a critical situation. And friends, as we look at our world, as we look at our lives, I think it's easy to know, but it's hard to believe that that is the situation we are in as well. And as we look at this 
story of the prodigal son, um, if you want to pull up Luke 15, 12 through 6, that's the exact situation that this son has found himself in. Read this with me. It says, I believe. If not, I can read it. In Luke 15, 12 through 16, It says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The situation of the son is that he he asked his father, and pretty much told his father, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me everything that, that is mine. When you die, I want it now so that I can go live and define my life the way I want to define it. Right? That's what the son told his father. And so he goes to a foreign land, and he parties hard. <laughs> like he parties, I mean, his, his, his brother, we're not going to look at it. His brother knows he squandered his money on prostitutes, on wild living. This son has taken what what blessing the father's bestowed on him. And instead of using it the way he's supposed to, the way he's created to use it for his family's good, he blows it on the way he wants to spend it. I can't imagine being the father sitting and having to give everything he has uh, to his son, knowing that his son's going to waste it. And here's the other thing about this. The son comes back to the father and the son has no power to even become his son again. Culturally, he is now dead to his family. It doesn't matter that the son comes back. The son comes back to be a hired servant. It is only by the father's goodness that the son could ever become a son again. Brokenness and sin is more than things we just do. It is, it's external. It is everywhere. And when I say the word sin, I think a lot of you might um, be thinking about just bad things. And I want to clarify, sin is more than just the things that we do that are wrong. There's this uh, great quote by Dr. Plantanga, again, if you want to throw that up. And he says this. He says, sin is the missing of a target, a wandering from the path, a straying from the fold. Sin is a hard heart and a stiff neck. Sin is blindness, it's unwillingness to listen. It is both the overstepping of a line and the failure to reach that line. It's both transgression and shortcoming. Sin is a a beast crouching at the door. In sin... People attack or evade or neglect their divine calling. These and other images suggest deviance. Even when it is familiar, sin is never normal. Above all, sin disrupts and resists the vital human relation to God. Sin is more than just the wrong things that we do. It's the right things that we don't do. It's not living into God's kingdom. It's not living into who God has called us to be. I think in America, we live in a very moralistic culture in which um, we think in right and wrong. 
And that, that's good. But sin is so much more than right and wrong. It is brokenness that's perpetuated by families, by hurt uh, relationships. Bryce talked about divorce a few weeks ago. And, and the, sin is so much more than individual consequences. It is communal. It is across the whole world. As scripture says, sin, um, the wages of sin is death. I think a lot of us know a lot of these verses that come to mind in the book of Romans. That because what we've earned is death and separation from God. That everyone has fallen short from the glory of God. I mean, scripture paints such a bleak picture that humanity is helpless to fix ourselves in our current situation, but we are not hopeless. Sin is a heart condition that stops us from looking at people the way that God sees them. It's the destruction of the way it's supposed to be. I think just like that girl who shot herself, we have a wound that cannot be fixed in and of ourselves. We need a perfectly sinless, all-loving, all-powerful mediator to reach into our brokenness and pick us up out of it. The death that this son died, he could not fix in and of itself. Sin not only breaks our relationship with our father, but with others, and that, that's pretty clear. And I remember, here's the thing, um, I remember when I first heard this. I'd grown up in church my entire life, and nobody had told me about sin. I mean, I literally grew up in church, and I was told, hey, Jesus loves you. That's great. So why does my life absolutely suck? I remember, um, I think it was my junior year, my, my mom came home from work, and my dad was working late, and she sat my sister and I down, um, and she said, Brian, um, we are going to confront your dad. I think he's cheating on me. I said, okay. What, what do you do? And so I remember sitting there, we, we had dinner in silent, and then we sat there for an hour just waiting for my dad to come home. I was terrified of my dad. Um, he was not a very friendly guy. And I didn't know if it was true or not. And to this day, I still don't know. But I remember my dad coming home. I remember my mom saying, please sit down. And I remember my mom explaining how she believes he's cheating on her. And I just, I sat there trying to process and understand this feeling of brokenness. And I don't remember a lot. I just remember screaming and things being broken and thrown and my parents storming up to their bedroom. And all I could remember is, if God loves me, why am I experiencing this? Why? This is not the way it's supposed to be. To people who who don't understand what sin is, Jesus loves you will never suffice. Because until you realize and understand why you don't feel Jesus' love, you'll never be able to comprehend and understand how to experience his love. I remember the first time I heard sin <laughs> was at a Young Life camp, and my Young Life leader um, explained it to me, and I heard this talk about sin. And my mind was it was a feeling of relief. Like I know a lot of times when we hear about sin, uh, people feel broken and yucky. And it was this feeling of relief because I finally understood why 
thing sucked. <laughs> it was this amazing, and the, the next night I got to hear about the cross and how much Jesus paid to buy me back into his kingdom, and it finally clicked. I'd probably heard it a hundred times. But it wasn't until I fully realized that I was just like the son who had walked away from his father and was unable to experience the loving graciousness of the father. Man, it changed everything. I couldn't understand the power of the cross until I really understood the brokenness, not only in my life, but in my family's life and in the world. And I can't just, I just keep coming back to, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I love that phrase. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Thankfully, through the faithfulness and loving kindness of Jesus, I mean, Jesus is the one telling this parable. And if you look back in, uh, in 15 verse one, if you look at who Jesus is surrounded by as he's telling this, it says in verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around him. Jesus is telling this parable to people who have walked away from their family or have been kicked out of their family. Tax collectors were people who worked for the Roman government to steal and collect money from their own Jewish people. These were people that were hated beyond anyone else. And then there's another category of people surrounded by Jesus, sinners, people who refused to follow the Torah, who were unclean. Jesus is looking at a crowd who knew this story probably all too well. Unable to return to their families because of the choices and decisions they've made. Unable to redeem back who they think they are. And yet Jesus chooses to focus on the characteristics of the Father. The Son has no power to become a son again. It is only the Father who can make this man a son again. And I love this. Just think about the father's response. The son, I mean, imagine the son coming back and saying, I, I just, I hope he accepts me to be a servant. And do you notice the father's response? He doesn't even acknowledge the son's plea for forgiveness. He doesn't acknowledge anything. The son's, he's created this, this word, the words he's gonna say. He's, he knows the sentence. The father doesn't care about that. And what I love about the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of forgiveness, the way that Jesus looks at us and heals and redeems our stories to be a part of his kingdom story is that it's not just a theological concept or idea. The doctrine of redemption, of God loving his people, it's more than just a thought. It is a person and it is an action. Check it out. In the person of Jesus, we see what true forgiveness is. It's not that when God was far away, God chose to put on human flesh and walk into the middle of the crowd. I mean, literally, he came amongst us. The incarnation is God dwelling amongst us, and he chooses to come into this world and say, look at me, I have life. In the midst of our brokenness, Do you notice what the father's response is to the son? But while he was still a long way off, 
The son hasn't even gotten to ask for forgiveness. The father notices him before that. He says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The gospel and the message that we preach to this world is not do better or be better. It is that our God is a good and compassionate and gracious God who reaches into our mess before we even want him to. He is sprinting towards us in a way that is unfathomable because we never experience that in our own relationships. He was filled with compassion. And it says this, he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Friends, um, if you've never experienced the love and kindness of your heavenly father, it is so worth it. In Jesus, we don't just experience forgiveness, we experience wholeness. What does the father do next? The father looks at his servants and says, quick, bring the best robe. A robe is a sign of royalty that you would give to somebody that you are throwing a party for. This son has done nothing, absolutely nothing to earn a robe of royalty. He has earned, he's done nothing to earn a party being thrown for him. But the son has, or the father has declared it so. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. A ring, much like our, our time, ring signifies marriage. In their time, rings had family crest embedded on them. To wear your father's ring means that you're a part of his family. The very thing he sold, the son sold, the father now gives to him and it declares that this son is now a part of his family again. This is not based off of what the son has done. It's based off of the father's loving compassion for the son. And put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Man, that's my story. Man, my father celebrates over me. Not because of what I do, but because of what he's done for us. Sin is so important to realize and to understand because as we look at our broken world, one, it is important to know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. But two, it's also good to know, as God calls us to ministry, that those we are ministering to are not disgusting people. They are people that are broken, in desperate need for someone to treat them the way that God the Father has treated us. God invites us into this process. As God's kingdom people, we get to be fathers like this, and mothers, and daughters, people in workplaces who are redeeming people and showing them and constantly pointing them to, this is our kingdom. It is a kingdom that we haven't earned, that we don't deserve, but our good and gracious heavenly father bestows on us the greatest blessings ever. A new identity, unfathomable grace upon grace upon grace, love and compassion and a family in which we don't have to earn their love. This is the story of the prodigal son, the father who loves. 
Friends, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. But it is so clear through scripture that if not us, the church, then who? Jesus has declared that in his church, we are now supposed to go out into the world and point to the way it's supposed to be. The way you live your life as a follower of Jesus matters, matters greatly. I think this puts a whole new perspective and picture onto what it means to be a Christian. It's not just coming to church and acknowledging that Jesus forgave my sins. Going back to Shalom, the wholeness of who you are is a mystery that is only found as we revel in the love of Christ. And so I challenge you and your families, who are you in Christ? Because it is much more than just a son or just a daughter that's forgiven. You have a new identity, and it is your job to figure that out in Christ and to point people who don't have that identity to see it. Friends, Jesus loves you. <laughs> and if you don't know what that love is, I would invite you after the service, come talk to, to one of the elders. We would love to sit down and explain to you not just forgiveness, but how Jesus has radically transformed our lives. He is a good and gracious father. And believe it or not, he is running towards you, whether you are running from him or towards him. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for this, um, this story. I thank you that it was told in the midst of broken people. And that's because you sent your son in the midst of broken people to proclaim and show them, God, that you care. That although we can't always see the goodness of your kingdom, it is there. It is so tangible to see the brokenness of this world through death and destruction, through the unraveling of the way that you created it to be. Father God, but I pray that you would empower us. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to love a world that is constantly asking the question, if a God really exists, then why don't I experience it? We have that answer. Father, empower us <laughs> to love people in a way in which they can tangibly see it, just as we were able to see your son tangibly through the incarnation. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen. Y'all, we, um, we've got one more song, um, one of my favorite songs, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I, I would just challenge you, if, if you need time to think about this message of reconciliation, of brokenness, and of what God is doing, take care of that now. And if you want to speak afterwards, um, grab, grab one of us. We would love to talk to you.